I just like to compete, and basketball is my way of expressing my urge of competition. And really, it's just the instrument that provides me a platform, provides me the finances, the image to actually do what I care about, which is help people. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. The Sports Business Radio podcast, why should you listen? We're going to help you learn directly from top sports and business executives athletes turn business people, content creators, and those working in and around the sports world. Whether you work in the sports or business world, you're a student trying to work in sports, or you just want to add overall business skills to your tool belt. We're going to bring you knowledge that you can apply to your life immediately after listening to our podcast each week. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years. And on Instagram, at Sports Business Radio. Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. He had a fantastic rookie campaign with the Memphis Grizzlies, leading them to the playoffs before they bowed out to the San Antonio Spurs. David Fisdale, one of the brightest minds in the NBA. Enjoy this conversation. My guest is David Fisdale. He is the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. I've known Coach Fisdale for about the last past decade. I used to work with Miami Heat head coach Eric Spolstra, and Coach Fizz was part of Eric's staff. Coach, thanks for joining us here on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Doing great. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks for making the time. I wanted to start with, I think it was 2009, uh, we went to the Philippines with Eric. Yes, we did. <laughs> and that was, that was a really, that was a life-changing trip for me. I had never been to the Philippines. I don't think you had either, and I know Eric hadn't been back there since he was really young. What were your takeaways from that trip? Um, that Spoh's a big deal. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> he was a rock star there, wasn't he? Um, I thought, I thought I took away that Spoh's a big deal, uh, that, um, basketball is premium in the Philippines. Uh, I, I also learned that I am probably part Filipino somewhere down the line. <laughs> I love the food and the folks, and uh, we seem to get along. They nicknamed me the Filipino. Yep. I was out there, remember, and uh, I just loved it. It was the, the culture, the people, um, the most welcoming, warming uh, people. It's really unfortunate to see what's going on over there right now uh, as we speak. But, uh, you know, overall, great experiences. Yeah, it was fun. The other thing I learned is uh, Spo, not the greatest at karaoke, and uh, cool. Uncle Uncle Tony's got a great hot tub. Yes, he does. <laughs> he has a great hot tub, and uh, his family makes incredible coconut moonshine. Oh boy, <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, you remember they they bottled up some stuff. I don't know what it was. I don't think it's street legal, but uh, you know they made us some nice coconut, uh, some coconut wine, uh, Filipino rum. That's what it was. It was- um, but we had a man. Was that a great time going down to the Uncle Tony's and you know getting to know Spo's family? Now we're all family, and you know it's just it's really cool. It was a cool experience for me. 
So how did you meet Spo? Because you guys are like best friends now and you're an extrovert. He's an introvert. You're the odd couple, but you guys are our best buddies. It's weird, man, how we, um, our relationship is bizarre because it's not like we like, like doing a lot of the same stuff or anything like that. So it's not like we, people, I, don't, I think people think like we're like hangout buddies and all of that. Like, yeah, we go to dinner sometime and do stuff like that, but we just connect on, on such a brotherly level, um, you know, where we just appreciate and balance each other. Um, you know, and the relationship hit off right away. I got introduced to him through Mike Brown. Um, you know, we always laugh about it because the story is, you know, when I took the job in Miami, he saw me, he, he, he saw my name, David Fisdale. He thought I was like this straight white guy from Cali, you know, <laughs> San Diego. I see Eric Spolster. I'm thinking like this straight, you know, uh, grungy white guy from the Northwest and played at Portland and, so we're passing each other on the street, and finally we just stopped and said, "Are you, you know, Eric?" And he's like, "Yeah, are you Fizz?" I said, "Yeah." We just started laughing. You know, here he is, a Filipino guy. Here I am, a black guy, and <laughs> you know, from that point on, man, we just really had a, a real cool connection, um, and really saw the game and challenged each other in ways that you know has led us to where we are now. And, and I would say probably. You know, Spo is arguably the biggest influence on my basketball career. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I want to go back to your youth. And growing up in South Central, you were often a victim of police profiling and brutality. Uh, I saw you did an interview where you said when you were 15, 16 years old, you'd get pulled over four times a week just for profiling. You had a lot of family members and friends who were victims of gun violence how were you ma- able to make it through all of that when so many people you knew didn't? Luck. Um, you know, really a lot of luck, a lot of a lot of blessings. I'm sure my mom said a lot of prayers uh, every time I walked out of the house, and, and I had good people. You know, I, I, a village truly raised me, and I had, you know, solid role models all throughout, you know, throughout my life, whether it was my coaches, my brother. Uh, he was a real, my, my older brother, I, you know, I don't talk a lot about him, but he was a true inspiration to me. He, you know, he played Division One football, um, you know, at the University of Hawaii. He got a scholarship out of the neighborhood. He was, like, he was the first person that really showed me, like, you know, this is possible. Hmm. And, in fact, it's expected of you. Like, my brother expected that of me. You know, he was the first one bought me a pair of sneakers. So, um, you know, he was my role model. I looked up to my brother big time. Um, you know, and he, uh, you know, I had people like that around me. My cousin Bernard Perry, we call him Poncho. He literally, um, uh, he 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 created me as a coach because when I was a kid, he would make me watch film of Mark Jackson and Walter Berry and Chris Mullins, the Big East. That's when Big East basketball was. What was it Biggest Mondays, Big Mondays? What yeah. were they called? Big, Big Mondays, that was huge. Big Mondays. We would record them on the VCR, and that's when VCRs had, had cords to the remote. Yeah. You know, it wasn't wireless. <laughs> <laughs> so he would record the games, and then he would watch the film with me. And he would always tell me, he's like, you know, you, you're a half-white guy, man. You're slow. He's like, you better watch Mark Jackson. He's like, if you want to play basketball, you better learn how to play like Mark Jackson. You're never going to be fast. And so he would make me study film of Mark Jackson as a you know as a kid when Mark was in college, and I 
you know, I patterned my whole game after Mark. Um, I think I was, I still think I was a better defender, but obviously he was a way better basketball player. So, uh, but yeah, I had those kind of people, and I was just, you know, obviously it was moments and a ton of situations that I was in that could have went the wrong way, or I could have been the one that got hit. You know, it was it was many of those days. So, uh, you know, I was it's. it's the world works how it works, and it got me here, and now it's, you know, I'm going to make sure that I try to look out for those kids that's in those same situations. I know your grandfather, Robert Hamilton, who was a victim of gun violence, had a huge impact on you. And, you know, Coach, you, you had a decision to make. Like, there were people in the hood that were upset about his demise, and it could have been handled, but you know, you, you did the right thing ultimately. And so did they, and you know, there wasn't revenge, but I know he was such a huge part of your life and, and maybe, you know, another huge father figure for you. Right. Yeah. You know how people say, uh, what would Jesus do? I always say, what would Papa do? Hmm. Because he was in my ear, even in those moments of making those tough decisions, my grandfather's voice, even today, you know, when it comes to how I treat people and, you know, and decision-making moments of right and wrong, the basics of, of all of that stuff. It's, it's his voice that I hear. So, uh, you know, there's no way I can make that decision any other way being raised by a guy like that. And, you know, I, the only reason I like that people tell this story is because I hope it's other kids out there that hear it and understand that they don't have to do um, the thing that can, can ultimately destroy their life forever. And obviously destroy another family's life. Yeah, no, it's a big decision. Now, you've mentioned biracial. So you had part of your time that you're spending in South Central. The other part of your time you're spending in Century City where your grandparents live. Yeah. And Isn't that crazy? Yeah, but the funniest thing that, that I've read, and you and I have never even discussed this, but like, Spock was living near your your grandparents, Leonard Nimoy. In the same uh, in the condo building on I think it was the Avenue of the Stars. Yeah, yeah, it was. It is Avenue of the Stars. You know, Avenue of the Stars is you know really nice condo. My grandfather was well to do, and, and you know he's an engineer, and you know he had done really well. And they, you know my they were retired there, and my grandmother, and you know so that drive wasn't. That's a short drive in L.A. when you think about it. You know what I mean? Like, right, you're right there. So the park we played at was Robertson Park right there off of, uh, you know, Robertson Boulevard, uh, you know, not too far from that neighborhood. And we used to go swimming at that park right there at Chevy Hills where the golf course is at. And so, like, it was just a whole other world for me to just keep bouncing back and forth from, you know, the hood over to Century City and, but I learned a lot from them. They were they they really um, they are they are the example. You hear my dogs barking? Oh yeah! How many you got now? I got four. Okay, that's a lot of noise for four dogs. Oh no, they don't they don't mess around. They, they protect their mama in there. That's good. Ring the doorbell. <laughs> Be quiet, Penny. So, uh, but I was just you know they they really um they they're a great example of how people should be in this world you know and and how accepting and. And wonderful, they treated me, and they raised me really to be cultural and, and experience the world. And, and they're the ones that got me into reading. They bought me my first um, subscription to National Geographic. You know, things like that are the things that I remember. You know, my grandmother did um, 
you know, traced our ancestry for me and gave it to me in a book for a Christmas gift. That's really cool. I mean, how cool is that? And I'm a 10-year-old, and I'm like, they're really making it important that I understand, look, these are things you need to know, and these are the things that, you know, are important to, to not only this side of the family, but you need to know this about your mom's heritage and your grandfather's heritage. And so, you know, they were, they were, um, real influential in my life. Um, you know, when it came to that kind of stuff. Now you and your wife, Natasha have really rolled up your sleeves and already become heavily involved in the Memphis community. I get the sense that you wanted to become a head coach, not only because you wanted to show that you could be a head coach and that was a dream of yours, but because you wanted to use your platform to make a difference in the community like you were born to do this. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's funny. Like, I look at life different than everybody else, I guess, because coaching is actually my vehicle to help, hmm. like, to what I really want to do. Like, my life's goal wasn't to be a head coach, you know, for why people want to be head coaches. I just like to compete, and basketball is my way of expressing my urge of competition and the life lessons you gain through camaraderie and having to connect to, to people and brotherhood and things like that. That That's what basketball fulfills for me. But really, it's just the instrument that provides me a platform, provides me the finances, the image to actually do what I care about, which is help people. And that's what I want to be remembered for. I don't really, you know, the accolades that come, and that's what I got from Spo. It's like, who cares about, you know, awards and all of that stuff, the coach of the year stuff and all that. Like, what do you really want to be remembered for? And, you know, personally, if I go to the Hall of Fame and all that stuff, that would be great and good to be remembered through this game. But I would much rather be remembered as somebody that was huge in this community and helped people and, you know, did what he could to to better the world around them. What are the biggest issues that you see that you're trying to resolve in Memphis right now? Economic despair, um, still, um, you know, education is a, is really a, I think a a, a huge huge um, uh, deal that can help Memphis right now and and really help grow Memphis if the education system can really provide for all of the kids here. Um, you know, uh, um, police obviously police and and. Uh, Community relations is a huge thing for me. Um, gun violence uh, in general uh, is something that I, that we try to impact. And then, you know, obviously I support my wife and and her uh, community uh, ventures. You know, she does a lot of stuff uh, with women and domestic violence, uh, the Humane Society. Um, she does things for young women. She did a huge uh, women's summit this year. 300 young women got to come out for a weekend and spend time with people like Tina Thompson. Uh, you know, we had Olympic uh, gold medal winners. Uh, she had all kind of folks out there. She's already, and I'm, I'm saying this on air, she's already got Doris Burke committed for next year, uh, Rachel Nichols, who else? Michelle Beadle. I think we got, so she's, I'm saying it on air so we can hold them to it, but they said they're going to come out next year and, and join the festivities and, and, and pour in more. Uh, into the community. So those are the things like we're really trying to tackle. But I'm going to have my hands in everything. I'm a, I got my hands in urban farms out here trying to teach, you know, areas how to eat right and grow their own food and things like that. Gardening is obviously something that I was raised with and it's a passion of mine. 
And so I've connected with, you know, some good folks here in the city that have already started that program, and I'm just jumping on board with it and trying to grow it. And so, you know, things like that, I think that, you know, when you really help people on the grassroots level and really help people out of tough situations despite politics and, and funds that's available and things like that, but just getting your hands dirty and actually getting out there and doing something that impact people. You've done a great job of using your platform to discuss social and political issues. Obviously, there's a risk that comes with that. We saw this week LeBron James's house in Los Angeles was vandalized, racist comments right. put on the front gate. I thought he was super eloquent with oh. his press conference and talking about what it means to be African-American in America, and not just for him, but how he was going to discuss that with his kids. What did you think of when you when you saw that? I... You know, Spo said something on a podcast I was listening to by him the other day. It was a great, it was really worded well, and I hope I don't screw it up, but he said when you say you, you're you proud of something or you, you, you take pride in it, it's that you're almost claiming ownership of it, so you don't want to do that too much. But I really was just, again, he and, he all of these guys, they just keep amazing me with how conscious they are and how articulate they are when they have to voice their opinion about it and voice their you know how it impacted them and and the poise i mean under that i mean you know all i did was empathize from the standpoint of i would have been fuming you know it's 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 just such an ignorant thing to do, you know, and I would have been fuming. And you could tell it was boiling underneath, but, man, did he conduct himself in such an incredible manner. I mean, the word proud, you know, and, and I do. I, I Part of me feels like there is some ownership there with LeBron and, and him as an African-American leader in our community. You know, I'm connected to him from that. He's he's leading. Uh, he's He's doing things that, um, I'm, like I was talking to the guy today, I said he's going to be a, a, a Muhammad Ali type of guy when it comes to how he impacts community. This guy's taking kids from 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 what is he third graders now? He's getting into his program and yeah. getting them scholarships. At the, who would do that? Like, come on, man! Like this, he is he's another level of of community service and and you know, really impacting our world today from that standpoint. So the way he spoke about it, the way he worded it under not, Oh, by the way, he plays tonight in the finals. Right. Scott, that he does that too. Um, he's just, it's, it's really, uh, something to marvel at. And I think it's something that, you know, all of us as just good hearted Americans should see him and be proud of that, of his representation of us. No, no matter what color you are, he's representing us as the people that who won't tolerate hate, who won't um, cave into um, fighting hate with anger and all of that other stuff, but doing it with tolerance, doing it with patience, um, with understanding, educating his children about it. You know, we, we're talking high-level guy right now. And, you know, no matter what happens, again, with his basketball legacy, we will always, I know for at least, Speaking from somebody in the black community, we will always cherish how he's represented himself for us. MJ, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, these are guys that have been afraid to speak out 
on issues. They, you know, they they don't want to anger the other fifty percent that may not agree with them. But we've seen oh, LeBron yeah. and D Wade and Chris Paul and Carmelo, and I would say since Muhammad Ali died. Like it's been like an explosion of athletes and high profile people who have said, "Screw it, I'm taking a stand on what I believe in." What's changed? Is it that everyone's making more money, so they don't have as much to worry about if they lose an endorsement, or has no. the culture just changed? Muhammad Ali sparked the movement. I mean, that's the bottom line. We're talking about the most powerful sports image in. All of our history. Yeah. I mean, can we just say that? Like, this man, what he did in his time to stand up against, you know, racial inequality, against the United States government when it was fighting a war in Vietnam, no matter what it was, well, how he represented himself and stood up and, and would not take it, he created this. I mean, that's what you're seeing is, a generation of young men now who were impacted by those words, hmm. impacted by those actions, and who now understand I have a platform. We live in a social, super social world now, and these guys have mastered it. You're talking about the masters of social media now. These these guys live in another world. How many followers LeBron got on Twitter or, or on all of that? I don't follow. I don't have millions. Myself. My wife is an expert, obviously, but is he a billion? No, he's not a billion, but he he's millions. <laughs> yeah, he's got millions, a lot. Millions, right? Like like he can reach out with one tweet to, and hit the world, right. right? So you're talking about they understand the power of this thing. And the NBA has done such an awesome job also. And I, and I don't know what goes on in the other leagues, but the NBA has done a great job of really kind of adapting to the social media world and educating right. these guys on how to – use it in a better way. You don't see as many guys screwing up on social media. Um, but the real bright ones like LeBron, they understand their platform, and they've learned from the great, you know, the Jim Browns, the Muhammad Ali's. You know, they've studied these guys. If you watch LeBron before a game, what is he doing every game? He's reading. <laughs> yeah. And people don't – this guy's read more books than I guarantee you than most human beings. Every game, he's reading something. So, you know, you're talking about really bright, you know, smart young men who understand where they are, their impact, uh, how to do it. They they just, you know, and it's also, you know, it's a credit to the people around them and the stock that they come from. You know, I've gotten to know these guys' moms, big-time mothers who look out for them, raised them right, protected them, taught them respect. You know, D-Wade's mom, I think you've seen her on TV a few times. I mean, come on. You're talking about, um, you know, toughness and, and quality and, and fighters, you know. So they raise these guys to be this. So, you know, I'm not surprised at all when you see the Colin Kaepernick's taking a knee and, you know, the other things that's taking place because, you know, Muhammad Ali sparked that. Let's go back to your coaching career uh, you played college hoops at, at University of San Diego. At what point did you say, okay, because I've heard Spo talk about this. You guys both played in the WCC. You know, there's a certain point where you're like, all right, I'm not going to be able to play in the NBA, but I like the game and I do want to coach. Like, when did that happen for you? Well, honestly, I just said, you know, because I screwed around my freshman year, fell behind in school. 
So I ended up going to four and a half years of school to finish. So in that year, I was working out to get ready to hold deal. And um, I had a deal to go play overseas. And it just so happened that two of my guys had just got sent home from the place that I was going without their money. And Mike Brown called me and said, you know, I don't know if you got anything going on, but this, you know, this guy, I know, Eric Spolster in Miami has this internship, you know, and I know you talked about when, you know, whatever, when it's all said and done, you possibly want to coach. Because I had mentioned it because I saw Mike do what he did through Bernie's video room and, you know, Chris Grant went after that and Neil Meyer went after that. So I said, you know, I want to just keep that, you know, keep that in mind. And Mike Brown saw a window for me and, you know, he called me up. He said, you know, I know, you know, you want to keep playing, but he said, you know, even if you just took a year to do this, he said, the Miami Heat, he said, that is the video room if you want to get into a video room. And I just made a, a tough decision, you know, at that point and said, you know what, I'm going to put my basketball playing aspirations on hold for a minute just to go get this under my belt. And thank God I did it because I wouldn't, have, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, if I had chosen differently. And like I said, you know, between Spo and the organization and Pat and Mickey and all those guys, you know, Andy Ellsberg, they've shaped me, you know, and, and who I am from a basketball standpoint and, and, you know, my integrity about this game. So one of the first times I met you, I looked at you and I went, this guy's destined to be an NBA head coach. And obviously there's, you know, talk while you're an assistant when jobs are open Hey, Coach Fizz is in the mix. What was it about the Memphis job where you said, aha, that's the right job for me? Um, I just love the way that they, they, they really, when you put six years of playoffs together, you know, they just had a winning spirit already. Um, you know, and I just felt like I didn't want to go to a total rebuild. Right. I really wanted to go jump right into a team that can get in there and fight, you know, and compete with the best. And so... You know, I saw that as a window. And then, you know, the fact that Chris Wallace had a relationship with Pat, you know, and it w- it could be a, a situation where I can tell Pat I want to look into this job and he can feel comfortable making that call to somebody that he knew. And we can get a feel for the whole thing without it necessarily turning into more than it should be. And, you know, it just worked out really well that way. And I, and I got to be honest with you, I just – I know people – may not believe it or think I'm crazy, but I was really attracted to the city and what I could do here from a a community standpoint. You know, I know a lot of people hunt for great places to go, like, you know, the flashy lights and, and, you know, the big cities and all of that stuff. But I just really liked the idea that Memphis was a place that I felt like me and my wife could, you know, have some kind of impact and make some change and, you know, really maybe even help a couple people in their lives turn around. So, it all just drew us, you know, and, you know, thank goodness it worked out because I really love it here and I love the guys that I'm coaching and and I really love working with these guys. Well, you guys have already made a huge impact. When you were in college, you were a communications major and, you know, there's a psychology to communicating with today's athlete. How would you say, you know, you're really good at communicating with the athlete. What are the keys to communicating with the athlete that plays today versus, you know, someone who played like when you were playing at USD? Look, man, I still make this. I still make mistakes with these guys too. Trust me, I've, I've 
rub guys the wrong way, thinking I'm Mr. Communicator. And, <laughs> you know, before I know it, I got a guy pissed at me because I said something a certain way or, you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, whether it's, you know, me major, majoring in communication or whatever, I just, I've just tried to always just be myself and be real with people and have empathy. I've kept that with me as, as much as possible in my life is, is even when I'm at my craziest and I'm just out of my mind mad or whatever it is I try to bring myself back to a place to have empathy for the person in front of me and you know for whatever reason that's that's worked out but <laughs> if you hear like out. if there's a guy and you hear hey so and so said this you're the type of guy as far as I can see that you're going to go meet with that player and you're going to say let's talk this out versus yeah. you know having a back and forth through other people no that's too much work I hate that I don't if you want to get under my skin, talk through somebody else to me. That's going to really get under my skin. You know, that, that's a, I, I really, I don't respect that, you know, when people do that. And not when you're in the same, you're right there. You know, let's, let's just hash this out as men. You know, it's not, it has nothing to do. We got a job to do. It's not a personal thing when it comes to that. So, you know, whatever we think about each other at that time, you know, we got to put that to the side because there's a, there's a job to be done and we got to be able to talk things out face to face, eye to eye. You know, that was a core value with Spo that we always had eye to eye communication. I brought that here with me. Don't look down to the ground. Don't talk to the ceiling, you know, talk to the guy in front of you, hash it out. And so, you know, you might not agree with me. You might not like what or how I say it or what I say, but at least, you know, I came straight to you as a man, you know, and, and, said what I had to say and I gave you a platform to say what you had to say and we walk away from it whether it's you know pleasant or not pleasant all coaches are always looking to bond the team come up with those activities or books or whatever when I saw you in Los Angeles during the season you took the team to a private screening of the movie Hacksaw Ridge oh. and you arranged for actor Vince Vaughn to do a Q&A with the team those are the types of things that I look at and I go that's really smart because that's something they're always going to remember and and you know that probably brings you guys together as a team, right? Right, and whether you whether you win the title that year or not win the title or whatever it is, that's something that you're going to take with you wherever you go. Right. You know, I think about all of the different things we did with that, with the heat and the, the stuff that Spo set up for us, and the activities and people we came across, and that stuff is the stuff I remember the most. You know, training camp in the Bahamas. You know, me and the guys sitting in the pool, me and Juwan out there with our team doctor, you know, getting our tans and relaxing in between. That's the stuff, you know. That's the that's the meat and potatoes of it all, you know. And so I try to set up situations like that, learning from obviously my predecessors and, and try to use all my contacts and everything. And it just so happened that my guy, uh, CAA Jack Wiggum, is, is obviously a pretty big deal over there in uh, – he was he's a he's a started off a Terrero, ended a gator in Florida, but we stayed friends and uh he set this whole thing up. I said, Man, I need to do something really cool for our team and you got any ideas? And he said, Oh, I got an idea for you and so I thought he was just setting up the screening, you know. I didn't know this whole thing was and then right before he lets me know, he goes, Hey, just so you know, Vince is gonna come over and uh screen the movie for you guys. So my 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 papa bear, Vince Vaughn 
comes over to the theater over there and, and, you know, walks in on our team. Our team didn't even know he was at first. They were like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and then it hit him and they're like, oh, this is cool. You know, and the movie was awesome. You know, it's what a great movie to show a team. No kidding. So when you talk about leaving no man behind, I mean, what a story. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the way Vince, you know, Vince, now here's how cool the guy is. Like, this is how cool Vince Vaughn is. He intros the movie for the guys. We watched this movie for two and a half, three hours, whatever. Movie ends. He's been sitting in the lobby with the director and waits for the movie to end and then comes in and does a Q&A with us for 45 minutes to an hour. Wow. And the guys are just hitting him with all kind of questions about acting and, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, you're developing and how are you challenging yourself to add more to your game and, you know, like literally asking them everything about the movie, the budget, like why did they film it like this? Like it was so cool to see. And he just stayed there and, and did it the whole time for us. And it was never like, like he never felt like he was, you never felt that feeling like he was looking like, hey, where can I get out of here? Like how can I, how fast can I get out of here? You yeah, know? he was engaged. Uh, he was totally engaged and, um, you know, it's to the point where we stayed in touch, which is so cool. You know, I got, it's, it's, it's just, I love that kind of stuff, you know, where, you know, these guys get to meet and then all of a sudden you become a part of a whole nother deal and you get to meet other people and learn about new worlds and things like that. And so, um, what a cool experience it was. And, you know, if he ever hears this, Papa Bear, you're the man. <laughs> I mean, you're big time now. You're hanging with JT, Justin Timberlake, and his wife. You guys are taking pictures when you're in L.A. I mean, <laughs> your, your cell phone's got uh, some new numbers on it. I'm a groupie like everybody else. <laughs> are, you, are you kidding me? I'm not like, I guess I'm probably not as much like the other head coaches because, like, I do get starstruck. I like meeting these people, you know. I don't mind... uh um, you know, bowing down to great talent. And, you know, it's just pretty cool that Justin Timberlake just, you know, the baddest white guy on two feet when it comes to entertainment, you know, you got to <laughs> say it. And he is, just happens to be one of our owners. So what do you want me to do? Not know the guy? Not be cool with him? Are no, you kidding me? I'd be doing the same My thing you're doing. My wife loves Jessica Bill. Are you kidding me? My wife is like, met. so we meet him for the first time. And my wife's like, oh, nice to meet you, Justin Timberlake. Jessica Bill like, <laughs> like I just start cracking up he's like I get that all the time like he's like you don't even know he's like you think women would like me he's like they love my wife you know so it's like I'm like I get it trust me you yeah, know? she's so big time in her own cool, right you know? yeah and you know it's, I just I think it's just cool you know the the basketball world provides us all such a, a incredible life and it allows us to meet such wonderful people and interact with so many different kinds of talents and elite, you know, minds and, and people with different abilities. And at the same time, you get to touch the person that's struggling the most. So I'm, I, I eat it all up. And, you know, I'm sure it's probably people that say, oh, he probably does too much of this or he, he's too opinionated or he's too, I don't give a damn. Like, who cares? Like, I'm living and, I'll, you know, as long as I'm, you know, providing for my family and doing it in a respectful way, and helping people along the way, you know, who cares? <laughs> no, that's a good way to be it. And you, that's being your authentic self. And, and that's who you are. And speaking of being authentic, I'm sitting there watching NBA playoffs, Grizzlies, Spurs. I turn on the press conference after the game and 
I hear you go off and you end it with mm-hmm. take that for data and they're not going to rook us. And, and I'm sitting there going, you know what? Everything you talked about in that press conference had what I would call a proof point behind it. You had a stat behind it. It wasn't like you just said the referees suck tonight or like it was a really well made argument. But that press conference, I mean, that changed your life, didn't it? Well, yeah, I definitely became more famous, for sure. I don't think anybody knew me because I was a good coach, but they think, damn, he can sure go on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they got T-shirts now on this thing. with, with yeah. And and didn't you trademark? Did you trademark Take That For Yeah, Dad? I go, come on, man. Are you crazy? Like, I'm Pat Riley's protege. Yeah. I'm not letting that thing slide out of there just you know, where everybody's just bankrolling on it. Like, Did you get they're I'm not going to rook us, too, or was that too hard to get? Nope. They all work just fine. Oh, good. <laughs> good for you. Good yeah, for you. No, but it's just it's not even like I'm going to be out there super, like, don't use it. It's just like, right. hey, but anything that can get me closer to retirement, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all right with it. Maybe I hear you. Travel too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. But, I mean, that was cool because, like, I've seen you – uh, on ESPN, I've seen you doing some national media hits, and of course, yeah. everyone wants to talk about that. But I think what it did is, look, you play in Memphis. It's not New York. It's not L.A. Right. So I'm in Miami, and what it did is it elevated your profile, and people were like, this guy's a passionate coach. He's defending his players. Then I read, hey, your players are like, hey, we want to pay the $30,000 fine, which had to make you feel right. real good. It, it was a cool yeah. story. Well, at the end of the day, I do want to bring more attention to these guys. I want to I want to put the pressure on Mike Conley and Mark to have to perform in the light. I want to bring more attention to them. I want to bring I want to elevate the status of how people view us as a small market team. And you know, I, I really San Antonio is a is a great model for you know taking a city that's not necessarily where people are running to to go you know, be free agents. It's not LA and it's not Miami and all these places, but they took a small, really a small market team in its own right and built something special. And I'm different. I can't, I'm not pop and I'm not whoever else out there. I have to bring the light to us in a certain way because not only do I want Mike and Mark to be treated as superstars, I want them to have to elevate themselves to that level. So I'm not going to run from it. I'm going to keep bringing attention to them and to it. You know, the, the the media stuff was actually pretty cool because I just was, you know, obviously being a communications major to be in those places and see how they work. And yeah. Scott Van Pelt basically gave me a tutorial on how his team works and That's how cool. every single guy does their job to make his show kick off and, like, how, um, you know, basically how each person is so egoless about it and, like, the success comes because no one is worried about who gets credit and, it was really cool to hear that from another, a whole other world. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily sports, but it's reporting on sports and understanding sports and, you know, messaging and all of that stuff. So he just sat there literally for like two hours and just gave me a tutorial on, on how it works. And it was just really cool to do, you know, and it was cool to see like people, um, that were really good to me along the way in my in, in the course of my career. You know, Rachel Nichols was somebody that when I was sitting behind the bench telling me, "You hang in there, young coach. You're gonna be a you're gonna be a head coach," and always there. You know, get just words of encouragement all the time. Even when I was you know doing the halftime stuff, because Spo was like, "You do it." You know, like <laughs> you know, 
You know, but he was doing that on purpose. He was trying to get me out there and show people that I knew what I was talking about. So he was, you know, and but Rachel was always the person that at the end of the interview and Doris was always that person at the end of the interview saying, you know, hang in there, young coach. You're going to be a head coach soon, you know, and always giving me that, that vote of confidence. So to come back now and and be a part of their shows and be a part of things with them, you know, as a head coach, and, and they were there saying this to me when I was, you know, nobody. You know, that that kind of stuff was cool for me to go around and see those people. Yeah, but here, I'm going to give you a compliment. You're one of the best I've seen at building and sustaining relationships. You are, are really good at that. There's a lot of people, you meet them once, and, you know, you may never talk to them again. You're good at staying in touch with people. You're good at taking the phone call, answering the text. You build relationships. And when you do that, doors are going to open for you, especially when you're an NBA head coach. And I think it's great that you're taking the opportunity while you have this job, and hopefully you have it for a long, long time, but you're learning other crafts. You're learning other... Like I used to always... I talk to athletes and I go... Remember when Magic Johnson was playing for the Lakers? He went and sat with all these Hollywood moguls and the CEO of Starbucks. And, like, he was learning for post-career, right? right. And look what he's done now. It's amazing what he's done. And I've studied Magic. Obviously, Magic is somebody I've I've idolized since I could walk with a basketball. But the part about Magic that always astonished me was his ability while he was being great at basketball was his ability to take his ego out of it and force relationships to do other things that he had great passion for. And so I really watched that with him and just said, man, this guy, you know, that's work ethic right there. That's not somebody saying do it just give me this stuff and let's, you know, make money together. But I'm willing to go through the the grunt work to learn a whole new craft at something, you know. And so, yeah, it was cool for me to go back there and meet and see different people and, like, you know, like Jalen Rose. How good is Jalen Rose on TV? He's gotten really good. Wow. You know, him and Chauncey together, both of them. I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Chauncey is hitting them with stats and, you know, just real hard fact data, but they're still being funny. And I'm just sitting here on the stage, and I'm like, man, these guys are really good at the, what they're doing. They were great basketball players, you know. And so, I just like I, I really do. I like I like learning. I, I love how things cross paths from the standpoint of of building teams and leadership and and all of those different things, different aspects of things. And so. You know, I think that may be something I got from Spo, because Spo was always meeting with whoever he could meet with at any time. And, you know, so I just like to take opportunities when I haven't done something in my life or haven't experienced something is to try it and, you know, see if it's something that I, I can learn from or even have interest in. Just a few more minutes. I know you've got to go soon. Uh, biggest learning experiences from your rookie season as a head coach? Um. I got to learn how to calm down. <laughs> I, to, I really do. I got to, I'm going to, my career won't last long if I don't calm the hell down. And that's ridiculous because I used to tell Spo, calm the hell down. And now here I am, a head coach, and I can't calm down. Uh, I think I th- threatened JB's life three times this year when he told me to calm down. <laughs> and uh, so I definitely got to do that. I got to learn patience. Um, you know, I got to continue to build um, patience and belief 
deep, you know, not not belief, but it's, it's when you when you do believe in something, be patient with it. I think that's the best way to put it. And so, um, you know, as an assistant, I was always on to the next thing of what can I do to help Spo? What's the next suggestion? What's the next What's the next thing that can crack the code for us to be great? You know, I was always trying to hit that. And now as the head coach, it's about how do I keep my team getting better and developing the right habits? And, you know, while still trying to be innovative, but, you know, you got to keep it within a tight framework and make sure that it's pointed what you're adding to your system and, and what you're teaching. And so that takes a lot of patience, um, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes I also got to learn to to distrust. I think that's going to be, you know, next year is going to be a, a real big part for me is, is, you know, trust my players more, trust my coaches more, all of that stuff. Because in your first year, you try to do everything. You try to protect everybody. You try to manage every little detail, um, you know, because you're trying to get culture in. You're trying to get a system in and, you know, you're also establishing relationships along the way and developing these relationships. And so, you know, that that, that takes a lot of trust and, and delegation. Uh, and so that is coming into this year for sure. I'll be much better at that. So that's an interesting question. Uh, you've got an experienced assistant coaching staff. I mean, you've got some guys on your bench that have been head coaches who've played the NBA for long periods of time, like Nick Van Exel. Yeah. How much do you handle as far as prep versus trusting them to like, all right, you're going to walk the guys through the scouting session or the film session or like, what are your fingerprints on? I'm sure it's on everything, I say, but I would say I did. I, I, I handcuffed them so much this year and I probably didn't even loosen it up until the playoffs, you know, and that's what happens when all chips are on the line. You don't care anymore about that. The, the, stuff that just doesn't matter, you know, and I think I was so caught up in trying to establish my own voice that I suffocated theirs a little bit. And that's just being honest and open about it, you know? And so this year I've said, hell no, Uh, JB is running a lot of the stuff. I'm I'm just chiming in uh, because I'm sitting here with a, I got a, a, a superstar First assistant, like superstar. JB Bickerstaff is not just a, he's not just a good coach, he's a superstar assistant. You know, and so I got to turn him loose and he's going to handle every single thing with our defense this year. And, and anything, you know, from the standpoint of, of big situations, he's going to be involved in that. And obviously, Keith Smart is, you know, that's my, my little voice, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, Keith actually, because he's been with me, it's easier for Keith to kind of feed me information because he knows how I am. So it's not I didn't I didn't restrict him as much because he just puts post-its on you know on my computer or <laughs> he sends me video clips on my phone or no, that's he good. Just knows how to just kind of throw me the information in a way that you know he just he, he's just he's always just giving me ideas. So and we've been together so long that it's different between he and I. You know, and so, um, and then same with Bob Bender and Nick Van Exel. I just, I, I got to turn these guys loose this year to uh, be their, their, like you said, the, the genuine selves and really, you know, coach the way that, the reason I hired them. And so, you know, like I said, as a first-year coach, you, you very often 
and I saw this with Spoel. You know, I saw it with Woody. Uh, you know, where they just put their arms around the whole thing and try to try to carry it and sustain it and you know monitor and and grow it and all of that stuff. And it's it's that's just too much. You can't do it alone. You know, and uh, you know, I, I really hit the point this year where the weight was so heavy. I finally just caved into it. <laughs> You know, but but really it's good that you, that. yeah, it's good that you learned that and that you saw that. And look, you're the guy that they're talking yeah. about in the media. Like ultimately, you're responsible. So I get you wanting to have the control. I run my own businesses, and you know, I'm the same way. I need to learn to delegate better because my name's on it. And if something goes wrong, like they're going to come to me. So I, I get all that. But you do have yeah. a really good staff there, and it's awesome cool staff. to hear oh. it, that you learn that, like, hey, you know what? They're good. Like they, they can take a little bit more weight off of my shoulders and, uh, they can help me. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Like this is, you know, I just, it's, 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 I have an awesome staff and I just got to turn them loose. And that's what this whole summer, um, postseason already, these guys are in the gym with our guys and they are kicking butt. Like, you know, you know, and the guys love working with them. That's the best part about it. Like, you know, you know, you got a good coaching staff when guys like coming to the gym. You yeah. know what I mean? And yep. uh, our players, I, I think if you ask our young guys right now to a man, uh, if they like coming to work with our staff, every one of them will say, heck yeah. You know, genuinely say that they enjoy coming to work every day. So that's what you want to create. You want to create a place that, you know, when guys walk through the door, they, they're happy to be there, you know. And so my staff has created that. And, you know, like I said, as I grow as a head coach, the more, you know, I give them uh, as my staff. Two more questions. NBA Finals starts tonight. That's going to be an epic matchup. I, I know you know LeBron well. You know all these guys well. But, like, all of them. that's seven games to me, isn't it? I'm staying out of this one. You're not gonna corner me on nothing. <laughs> I got Mike. I got my main man, Mike Brown, head coach. That's on right. Side. Yep. I got my main man, T. Lou, coaching on the other side. You got Larry LeBron. Lou. Oh God, good grief, Bron. Yeah. I mean, this. This is. I'm just gonna enjoy it because you know, at the end of the day, I know this is what everybody wanted, but let's keep it real. You're talking about the two best basketball teams in the NBA. You're talking about two of the best basketball teams, honestly, in years. Yeah, this is history. I mean, this is three years in a row <laughs> these teams have matched up. Oh, it is. I mean, if you if this isn't Lakers-Boston, I don't know what is. Yeah, like, that, that's me, exactly what me. I said to Adam Silver when I was with him last week. I said, no this is Lakers-Celtics from what? the 80s. Because you're talking about generational players in this thing who keep clashing at the top. Right. Some of guys that have changed the way we play the game. Like Steph Curry's a video game. Yeah. Right? Like Kevin Durant's a video game. Clay Thompson's a video game. LeBron, Kyrie, these guys are what are they doing to our game right now? Like this is what we're seeing is monumental. You know, and, and it's what's crazy about it is the reason that they're doing it is because the rest of the league is pushing them to do it. Russell Westbrook is a freak. James Harden is a freak. Kawhi Leonard, I said enough about this kid. Good God. Like, yeah. If he doesn't get hurt in that series, I don't know. 
the way that game was going, and who knows how a series goes. Boy, you know? have you ever like, seen the bottom drop out of a team more when a guy goes down? I mean, they're up 25 in that but, game. Holy cow. But think about it, too. Like, they already down Tony. It's yeah. fragile when you're playing against the best right. of the best. Yeah. Like, your two guns go down like that, you know, look – it's, you're not going to survive that. No. I don't care who's coaching on the other side. I don't care who the other. It's just two guns, like, against Golden State. I'm sorry. Like, you just, you're just not. And, like, you know, Pop said it right. His guys battled. You know, his guys was out there competing their asses off. But at the end of the day, woo. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a know, tough Kevin one to Durant overcome. Just, well, come on. Who else wants to win more than Kevin Durant right now? Just that alone was going to end that series. And you saw what he did every game. There was a quarter in every game where he just decided, Dominate. okay, enough playing around, I'm going to end this. <laughs> you know, and he just he just took the game over and just said, okay, enough. You know, because he's got so much riding on this. This means so much to that kid. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's the great storyline about this thing is like, you know, Golden State is coming back because they lost something. They gave something, you know, something precious away to a to a guy who don't give it away. You know, and so I'm loving it, man. I, 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 as a basketball fan, I cannot wait to turn on the TV tonight. It is gonna be because my, you know, the other guy that I kind of, I just wish I was. I wish I played like him when I was a player. I wish I was Kyrie Irving. Yeah, like who doesn't want to be Kyrie Irving as a basketball player? Like if I was a little kid. I would be at the park every day doing exactly what Kyrie Irving does. Every finish, every dribble, every like when we were doing fallaways for Jordan when I was a kid, it would be Kyrie Irving now because I love watching him. He is as he's a he's as skilled with a basketball as I've ever seen in my lifetime. I don't think anybody has been able to control the ball the way that Kyrie Irving does where he could put the ball anywhere on the glass, he could put the ball anywhere on the floor, he could get anywhere he wants, he could shoot it from anywhere he wants. I just don't think there's nobody like him. I just is I haven't seen anything like this kid and it's just going to be a fun series to watch. That's all I can say. And I love his uh, alter ego, Uncle Drew. That's one of my favorite commercials. Are you kidding me? Is that the most funny? Like, yeah. Him and Kevin Love, that is the funniest fact. <laughs> I love what he's getting. That's what I'm saying. That's the kind of stuff, like, you know, when you talk about diversity and guys doing different stuff and yeah. having fun and just trying out things. Like, I love that. Like, I I was telling somebody a joke today about Chris Bosh and how he did his all-star thing when he put on the cowboy hat and the costume and, you know, Chris, that was Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh would go on stage at a baddie, like Shane Battier would do this, um, <laughs> this, uh, he had this thing called Battyoke where we all go do karaoke for fans and like raise money. And Chris Bosh would get in the costume for it. And it was hilarious. I mean, like where you would just like, he did Barry White and, I'm telling you, it wasn't a guy on our team that wasn't that. They were all crying and laying on the floor. Oh my god, that's funny. You know, I mean, I just love that stuff. You see LeBron. What does LeBron do all the time? He's dressed up as Prince, and, right? You know, <laughs> you know, and that's what he's like. All of those guys had that fun, you know, way about them, and they're not willing to like, you know, crush their ego a little bit and their image just to like have some fun and try something new and experience other new things. So. You know, that's that. I think it's pretty cool, man. Last question for you. You got to do our listeners a, a favor here. 
if you haven't been to Memphis, and I hadn't until last year, and I went to Grand Central Barbecue, oh. th- they got some food in Memphis. Where where are the spots to go? Or even, like, just what's – obviously, barbecue is good to eat when you come to Memphis, but what else? See, okay, so barbecue is, is what everybody knows about Memphis, but what people really don't know that my wife and I found out is that there's some world-renowned chefs in Memphis who cook, like – serious cuisine like you know italian we got a uh, andrew michaels we have this restaurant called andrew michaels here that is phenomenal i mean the, the you could put it right in the middle of new york you could put it in the middle of san francisco you mm. can put it anywhere you want this place would be a hit um you know where it's just delicious food we got flight this place downtown that has incredible food and they do it all in the small dishes and things like that but they got a, there's just a lot of different restaurants that has so many different um flavors to it there's a huge indian community here so there's great indian restaurants which my wife is like jacked about because that's all she orders now and i'm like i can't keep going to the bathroom like this honey <laughs> you know so you know but it's it's really like you do you'd be surprised it's not just barbecue it's like incredible serious restaurants and food here that, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people would know that if they, you know, looking from the outside in, because I sure as hell didn't know it. Well, Coach Fizz, I am very proud of you. You had a great rookie season. So happy to see you get your shot. You've certainly done the most with it. Look forward to continuing to uh, watch you and be your friend, and I appreciate this conversation. You're the man, Bert. We'll talk to you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Griggs just back from New York and the fifth Sports PR Summit. Great event again. I'm always flattered by who's involved uh, it was my first opportunity to interview NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Everyone knows I've interviewed David Stern many times, but Commissioner Silver was fantastic, really candid, very insightful. Uh, one of his insights he shared is he enjoys talking to telemarketers, which surprised a lot of people, but he said he likes talking to telemarketers because they have a decision tree that they've got to refer to in real time. So if you're talking to someone and they answer one way, you've got to go to this side of the tree. If you go another way, it's the other side of the tree. But it was really interesting for him to talk business philosophies, uh, to talk about the social media policy that the NBA implemented this year. 
uh, how he uses social media. Griggs, I get back from the event and I'm looking through Instagram and I go onto Adam Silver's Instagram page and who's on there but me. That was a little shocking. And flat. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. This event, I mean, you, you, you get great lineup every year. I swear it gets bigger and better and looks great. I wasn't there with you this time, but I was following along on Instagram and, and through the posts and stuff and great pictures. Great. I mean, just the, the cast was phenomenal. And the, the thing that's cool about this event too is it's so exclusive because you're hearing stuff in conversations that no one else is doing and you're not getting anywhere else, which makes it really cool. And the event, obviously, uh, the venue is phenomenal as well. Yeah, we had a great day. Uh, Players Tribune overlooking Chelsea Piers, ESPN's Tom Rinaldi, who spoke with Bleacher Report's Rick Buecher, and NCAA senior exec Oliver Luck, who spoke with Bonnie Bernstein, were also outstanding. Gave us great, candid insight. That's what I like about this event. It's candid insight. We don't allow media into the event. We want our speakers and featured conversations to speak candidly. Uh, Adam Silver shared some really interesting stuff about how they handled the crises of the Donald Sterling situation when that arose a few years ago. So if there's media in the room, they're probably not speaking as freely as they do. Um, some other athletes that I enjoyed meeting that I had never met before, DeMarcus Ware, NFL great, played for the Cowboys and won a Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos. Uh, Anquan Bolden who played for the Arizona Cardinals for many years. I'm from Arizona. He plays for the Detroit Lions. Now that dude is tough as nails. But, boy, is he doing some great things off of the field. I love the athletes that say, you know what, I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk. And if I want to see changes in the community, I'm going to go meet with police officers. I'm going to go testify in front of Congress in D.C. These athletes are getting out there and actually rolling up their sleeves to make a difference, and uh, it was cool to meet them. And that's the legacy t- part of these athletes, too, that I love is, like we've talked about with Arnie and, and some of these, go- Jack Nicholas and these guys, where so much off the field or off the playing field, at the course, whatever, that they can do in the community. And they don't realize, I think these guys realize how important their lives can be with other people, just the influence they can have on people and how much because of their status they can do in communities. It's great. And these guys both do it. And it's fun to see how much they can change people's lives off the field. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you visit sportsprsummit.com or you search the hashtag sportsprsummit, you can see some of the images and social media posts from our event on May 23rd. Griggs, we trended on social media 19 minutes into our event. So that's a record for us, and it set the tone for the rest of the day. But when you've got these high-profile people at your event, you get a lot of social media conversation. And like you said, because only 125 senior people are allowed in the room, everyone outside the room is like, what are they talking about in there? And there's retweets, and there's conversation from people outside the room. So it's kind of cool to see how it's taken off. July 26th, we're at Twitter headquarters in San Francisco with our Sports PR Summit social media workshop. We talk a lot more about social media, how athletes use it, how executives use it, how teams and brands engage people on social media, and we do it with Twitter being the backdrop. When I was in New York, Griggs, I got to see Twitter New York City offices. Those are pretty sweet. It's Twitter, and it's New York City. I mean, I think everything in New York is pretty sweet. I mean, I, we went in December for the uh, road show, and I was just fascinated by literally every building is phenomenal. Every store is phenomenal. It's just it's a cool spot. Yeah, we'll have to. Uh, we found some good restaurants uh, this time around. Nice. So when we go back later in the year for our Sports Business Radio road show presented by Boingo, uh, we will have to visit some of the new restaurants that we discovered uh, while we were there, I stayed in the meatpacking district, and I hadn't nice. stayed over there before. That's a cool area, the High Line. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a chance 
and you're in New York, go check out the High Line, and it's really scenic. There's some great parks, uh, overlooks the Chelsea Piers. It, it was pretty neat area. I swear on our trips, we probably each gain about 10 pounds, too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> we eat well. <laughs> yeah, we do eat well. We find the little uh, spots to go grab great food, and uh, that's certainly really, really good. I want to thank... Coach David Fisdale of the Memphis Grizzlies for joining us on this week's show. He was great. Known him for 10 years. I think he is one of the brightest minds in the NBA. So happy for his success. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.